I'm David Scandura. I am Justice Burkett. And today we're here to find out, is Crash the greatest movie ever made? The car crash is a liberation of sexual energy rather than a destructive event. Welcome to The Greatest Movie Ever Made, the show where we watch a movie and tell you if it's the greatest movie ever made. Yes, that's what we do here. <laughs> a movie that is so thoroughly entertaining and compelling that while you're watching it, it's the only thing that matters in the world. I, I did that in the middle because that's how everyone in this movie talks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone speaks very quietly and subdued in this movie, even though really intense, emotional, you know, destructive things are happening that are blowing up their lives. They're all just kind of like, yeah, yes, I, I would like to see what his penis looks like. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, James, I'm James Spader, and I am sexually attracted to car crashes, and I can't speak louder than 40 decibels. <laughs> I didn't realize that James Spader was so hot until I saw this movie. <laughs> Little baby James Spader's looking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Holly Hunter, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, but Holly Hunter's never looked bad. No, she's she's great, but I've never seen her in like a role like this, which is kind of, you know, uh, subversive and unlike yeah. a lot of the other roles I've seen her in. Yeah. Holly Hunter standing out in a movie where Deborah Kara Unger looks the way she looks in this oh movie uh, is... is uh, impressive it's impressive for for anybody in the movie any anyone at all to to be noticeable when anytime deborah kara unger's on screen you're just like whoa <laughs> <laughs> i'm david scandera i'm joined as always by my co-host justice burkett and, yeah and justice i don't have a funny nickname for you this time <laughs> but i do want to introduce you to the first the first big goof that i had in mind and that is the crash cinematic universe so <laughs> Okay. I think the sequel to this is the gonna CCU? be is gonna be uh, Crash Two, <laughs> Aces High. <laughs> I think this is the most clearly the one that's like most clearly suggested by this film because uh, James Spader and Deborah Kara Ungar are in this relationship, and Deborah Kara Ungar is getting her pilot's license. Right. So the next oh. one is just Crash with Planes. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's cra Yeah. Now now the stakes are higher because it's planes instead of cars. Yeah. Is, yeah, is yeah. what we're dealing and with. And I think I think it ends with her getting her like commercial pilot's license, and it's like on a Boeing seven forty seven, <laughs> and she and James Spader are flying and and having sex. And there's also like an orgy happening in the passenger lounge in the back. Um, that's a sequel. Do you think? Uh, do you think Harrison Ford has a fetish for uh, plane crashes, and that's why he keeps crashing his fucking planes? Do you think he's getting his rocks off, and that's that's what that that's what that's about? <laughs> it's weird. Like I I love Harrison Ford. I love that he loves to fly. Hasn't he crashed more than one plane? Oh yeah, several, several. Right. So I'm just like, either it's a sex thing, or maybe you should go back to pilot school, Harrison Ford. Maybe the next one. Or maybe he should just stop drinking while flying, which is what, or or smoking weed while flying, which is what I sort of assume is happening. So then we have Crash Three Sink, which uh, is boat crash. Bo with boats. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, um, right. 
Crash. Yeah, maybe there's like a submarine thrown yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Crash Four off the rails, which is <laughs> Crash the Train. Train, yeah. Basically, also Snowpiercer. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagining uh, uh, James Ballard from this movie watching the end of Snowpiercer and like furiously jacking <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, the train's crashing! Oh! <laughs> uh, Crash Five Blast Off, which is when the the series like officially jumps the shark and we go into space. We go to outer space. So then we're we... crashing spacecraft. Yeah. <laughs> so then we have to have the reboot which is of course called the crash <laughs> yes and then uh then we have crashes which is the sequel and in to the, the original in... that ignores all the other movies oh right yeah and so in that one it's basically it's only a sequel to crash and our main character are like the the ballard like the ballards have had a kid yeah it's, and it's that the kid is now grown torch. up yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they, uh, they've found that they're also sexually aroused by car crashes and they have to like reckon with like the legacy th- stuff of that, you know. And then uh, the Amazon Prime miniseries Crash <laughs> Generations, which I think is going to be like tracking Vaughn's ancestors throughout time. <laughs> so we have like a like horse and buggy. Carriage crashes. And <laughs> you know, it's all the ones that you can't really do a whole movie out of. Yeah, yeah. It, goes, it goes all the way back to like the Middle Ages and where this all started is just one of them was a jouster <laughs> and just got really, he like got his boner mixed up with his lance. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And he was like, oh, like we're riding at each other on horses and smashing into each other at Oh, I'm creaming my fucking, uh, what, what are the metal pants that knights wear? My fucking, I don't know, my uh, chaps. Like my piece. Right, yeah, yeah, there you go. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, we have a horse and buggy, Model Ts, um, maybe like tandem bicycles. I think, I think what's happening concurrently with this film is Vaughn has like a cousin somewhere in like Alabama yeah. who's doing this with monster trucks. <laughs> The monster trucks thing makes a lot of sense. I thought you were gonna say those like um those little like swamp boats, you know, with the big like propeller oh, things on the back, just crashing those into each other. That'd be sick. Uh, do you think that there's like one of the the members of this fetish community who's just like uh is totally in love with with car crashes and has it to- as like a something that they need to nut? Do you think any of those people are like carnies who work the bumper cars? You know. <laughs> <laughs> they're just watch, watching all these people driving these little bumper cars and bumping into each other and they're just like yeah, yeah. justice how are you doing i am doing uh pretty good i have been continuing the theme of this year which is busy week but i feel like i'm sort of on top of it the thing that i'm kind of wrestling with uh this week and <laughs> is sort of stressing me out a little bit is I'm just, I'm very afraid of losing the momentum. I feel like I've been productive and been very on top of my shit. And I'm getting like a lot of anxiety about like, I have to keep this going or else I'm going to get behind and then everything's going to fucking suck. <laughs> right? Um, so good, but also kind of like anxious about just like, I'm very keenly aware that it is fully within my own control to continue being on top of my shit. And that's kind of a scary feeling sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, but overall pretty good. Um, I do also have a media recommendation this week, um, which is I listened to a metal album called Unnatural Providence uh, by the band Head in Hand. Um, they're sort of like a doom slash doom gaze uh, band from Boston. I've also seen people categorizing them as sludge metal, but to me, they're pretty squarely within the doom metal camp um, and really fucking great album. It came out last year flew under my radar. I hadn't heard it before. 
Um, it kind of just came up in um, like recommendations for me on one of the music streaming platforms. And I was like, hey, cool album cover. I'll give it a listen. And I listened to it and I was like fucking blown away. It's really, really good shit. Um, I like the heavy, crunchy riffs contrasted against kind of these glittery, uh, shoegazy passages with like clean kind of ethereal vocals. Uh, very good vibe. Um, so recommend that for anyone who has a taste for that type of music. Uh, David, how are you doing? Um, I think I lost the momentum this week that uh, you're talking about. I think it's uh, the, the theme for 2024 has just been, uh, I'm, I'm just having a bad time. I'm um, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, this week I didn't go to the gym at all. I just lost it. And, and this was like the end of this current workout cycle. So this week was like, do right. your maxes and stuff. It's supposed to be like the peak, yeah. And I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't drag myself there. Yeah. Um. And then, uh, I had a a quick trip to Phoenix where I went down and back, and um, I'll talk about that in a second. But on the way back, my uh, one of my tires split. Ugh. But like, I made it all the way back home, and didn't find out until later. Oh. So. Yesterday, yesterday I went to go get the tire replaced and ended up getting both tires replaced because that's what you're supposed to do. Yep. And just $300 just vanishes yeah. from yeah. my uh, bank account. So I'm just, I'm tired. Uh, I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm uh, depressed and annoyed. And uh, my finances are just not where I would like them to be. And just kind of one thing after another. Just a lot of little things pissing me off and annoying me and making life more difficult yeah but um i did drive to phoenix to meet with a friend and that was great that was the, the highlight of the week and uh we had dinner at the rainforest cafe <laughs> <laughs> i've never been to the rainforest cafe i went a lot as a child yeah so the podmaster did too and uh she found a video on youtube where a guy goes to every single rainforest cafe in the u.s and canada and does it as like a road trip. So basically it's it's a road trip where every day or two days yeah, yeah. he's eating at the Rainforest Cafe. Um, one of the funniest YouTube videos I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. So when we were talking about places to eat and uh, she suggested, the, you know, the places around the, that mall, she said the Rainforest Cafe. I didn't want to admit it, but I knew in my heart it was probably going to be that. <laughs> and uh, so we went and then uh, we saw Dune part one. Oh, in no. IMAX, yeah. which despite having uh, not so great seats, was um, an incredible experience. I'll save my thoughts on the actual movie other than like it's, it's a good movie and I like it. Because, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about that soon. Yeah. Ma maybe we won't. Either way, you know, don't... If we do... I told you so. If we didn't, then hey, fuck you. <laughs> and follow us on Letterboxd, because then you can see David's thoughts on Dune. Um, although it'll probably just be a one-sentence joke or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry that you haven't been, uh, been doing well um, and that life's been treating you rough. That sucks. But I also want to say, don't beat yourself up about the gym thing, because sometimes you just don't have the capacity to go, and that's totally fine. Um, I, I wanted to circle back on that cause I know that's something I beat myself up about a lot when I'm like, didn't even get the motivation to go to the gym and I just feel like a total sack of shit. And it's like my reminder for myself and my reminder for you is it's not the end of the world. It's totally fine for you to 
skip that if you don't feel like you have room in your life that week to do it or that day to do it or that month to do it or over the course of several years to do it. Like it's totally optional. It doesn't have any bearing on your worth as a human being. Um, and you know, I love and appreciate you and, uh, I'm sorry that you haven't been doing well. Thank you. Yeah. I love and appreciate you too. Let's get into, what were you going to (laughs) say? I was just, I was going to say it is Valentine's month. So we're expressing love to each other. (laughs) Yes. It's Valentine's month. I have taken the reins of the podcast for the month and determined the four movies that we're going to be talking about for the month of February. Let's get into our first film. Uh, a delightful, delightful, heartwarming romantic film, <laughs> David Cronenberg's Crash from 1996. Yeah. Uh, so basically, here's what happens in this movie. There's a sex scene and a car crash and a sex scene and a car crash and a sex scene and a car crash and a couple more car crashes and a couple more sex scenes. David, is this the greatest movie ever made? <laughs> Episode over. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I, well we're actually going to talk about the movie, but uh, not a lot happens in this movie sort of i'm not saying that that's a bad thing but it is definitely a movie that is going to be interesting to summarize the plot of because so much of this movie is cars crashing and people fucking yeah (laughs) and and very little dialogue yeah and and uh, and when there is dialogue they always talk like this they're like really whispery and throaty because they're all just so horned up about getting into car crashes yeah (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about canada's favorite son Yes. David Cronenberg. Certainly my favorite son from Canada. <laughs> or my favorite daddy from Canada, I guess, because he's way older than me. <laughs> yeah, so we're both we're both fans of him. Um I watched a bunch of his movies for the first time leading up to Crimes of the Future. Mm-hmm. And then after that I've I've seen a few of his movies, uh, a few few more of his movies since then. And I find that for me personally. I really like him. He really has a, a very diverse career mm-hmm. and has a lot of interesting themes and ideas that he's exploring in his, in his movies. But most of his movies, I feel like I need a second or third viewing to, to appreciate. Um, compared, to, compared to someone like maybe John Carpenter, where John Carpenter has a lot of movies that hit you immediately. Uh, and I think Cronenberg's a little bit more cerebral in some cases. Yes, he's definitely... I don't know whether he as a person is more intellectual, but his filmmaking feels more intellectual than, for example, like John Carpenter's or, you know, some of those other horror icon guys. Even Romero, who I feel like Romero has a lot of, there's a lot of intellectualism in in Romero's movies as well, but I feel like they're kind of still entertainment first. Um, Whereas I feel like Cronenberg kind of leads with the heady cerebral intellectualism. And cares less about entertaining you and that's not to say that his movies aren't entertaining because i think they are but it's definitely not the primary purpose of his work as a filmmaker it feels like um and so i agree with you i feel like usually i appreciate his movies more uh the more familiar i am with them which may come back later when i'm talking about my feelings on this film which i have only seen once (laughs) yeah and i watched this about this time last year actually i watched this on valentine's day last year yeah um it's perfect valentine's watch yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, i did this and another movie we'll be talking about later this month blue valentine so Mm -hmm. it was just uh it was just a very uh valentine's day full of bad dark feelings yeah bad vibe valentine's day but yeah i think cronenberg 
Cronenberg is going for something that's more intellectual, more cerebral, more thematic. And I, th I think, having watched a lot of his movies, in some ways, he's almost trying to make the same movie over and over again and perfect it and explore the same themes but come out with different interpretations each time. I, I, do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. I, I think I agree with you. I don't think that's true of necessarily like, it's maybe not true of all of his movies. I right. also haven't seen all of his movies. Yeah, yeah. But there are like sort of outliers to the normal Cronenberg thing that he's made, like uh, um, uh, A Dangerous Method, uh, Cosmopolis, which I haven't seen, um, uh, and A History of Violence, Eastern Promises. Like those are less the Cronenberg like, the text of the story is about flesh and uh and objects being merged <laughs> right um but uh so so there is there is the type of cronenberg movie that's basically the same movie over and over again right mostly his his like overtly sci-fi stuff right um kind of is that you know flesh and technology yeah. combining thing and i think he uses that theme to make different points in those movies is kind of how I read movies like Videodrome, like The Fly, like um, Crimes of the Future and, and this movie, right? Um, I think all of them have that, that thematic thing of flesh and machines uh, coexisting. And I think all of the, those movies are trying to say slightly different things using that same kind of, trope you know um is is sort of my takeaway um although yeah i think some of them are saying some of the same stuff but i think each of those movies he's approaching it from like a slightly different angle yeah and i i think that's what i find so interesting about him as a filmmaker is him constantly cut, touching down on these themes over the course of his career and coming to different conclusions each time and how that changes and evolves as he matures both as an artist and as as he grows up yeah, and and how his and and as his body ages, right? I think I think Cronenberg is obsessed, and this is this is not a novel observation. I think Cronenberg is obsessed with the body, yeah, um, right, and how the body relates to the self, right? How to what extent our physical body is an extension of our identity, right, and where our identity stops past our own body in relation to like our possessions, right? The, the objects that we surround ourselves with, right? I think he's fascinated with that. And I think that as his own body ages and, you know, age breaks bodies down and starts making them work less well, right? And I think that you can see in like a movie like Crimes of the Future, him reckoning with that part of, of piloting this flesh suit that we all have, right? Yeah, and there's a line in this movie where... Uh... Deborah Kara Ungar and James Spader are talking about a funeral and uh, Deborah Ungar says something to the effect of like, they, they bury the dead too quickly. I wish they would leave them out mm. forever or something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's scary hearing that line and then knowing that Cronenberg's 80, his next movie that he's working on is called The Shrouds and it's literally a science fiction film about a cemetery where you can watch your loved ones decompose in real time. Yeah. Like he's he's constantly planting seeds throughout other movies that he would later you know grow and develop into into more uh, in, in, develop 
the ideas on in in his other work and commenting on his past work i think a really interesting thing in this movie is that a character basically says the david cronenberg thesis out loud in this movie um vaughn at one point says the reshaping of the human body by modern technology he just says the cronenberg mission statement as text right and then um James Spader brings it back later and is like, oh, what about the reshaping of the human body by modern technology? And Vaughn's like, oh, you know, that's, that's you know, kind of sci-fi horseshit, right? That's not really what it's about. And it's sort of like Cronenberg commentating on his, his past work, right? Commentra- yeah. Commentating on stuff like Videodrome, right? And The Fly. And basically being like, yeah, I'm still, like, that's still an idea that is at play here. But he's sort of telling you through the screenplay, like, that's not the main point I'm trying to make. Yeah, and this comes at a time when Cronenberg has moved away from the science fiction body horror and taking those themes and applying them to other genres and spreading his wings a little bit more creatively um, with uh, Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch, M. Butterfly. Those were all films he did just prior to this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then before that was The Fly, and that was really his last of the the sci-fi body horror films of, of that part of his career right the and, stuff that we think of as a cronenberg right film. and then and then of course crimes of the future uh which just came out a couple years ago is kind of a kind of a return to form for for some people in, mm-hmm. in, that, in that regard um so yeah acclaimed director controversial director and uh this film itself was, was controversial it was based on a 1973 novel by J.G. Ballard. Uh, Ballard was originally a science fiction writer in the 60s and then uh, transitioned to writing, you know, kind of uh, Crash and uh, various other novels in the 70s and uh, all the way up to the 2000s. And the novel was controversial. And then when this film released uh, at, at the Cannes Film Festival, it was awarded the special jury prize and Cronenberg believes that Francis Ford Coppola, who was the jury president of at Cannes at this time, um, didn't like the movie. <laughs> and other members of the jury banded together to give it the award, and Coppola refused to present it to Cronenberg as a result at the at the festival. That's the rumor. Um, there was like a committee mutiny against Coppola. Yeah, <laughs> which is weird because in his own way, Francis Ford Coppola is. Also kind of a horny little freak. I'm not really sure what his problem was with this movie, but I don't know. <laughs> Alleg- his alleged problem was with this movie. Yeah. Uh, this received six Genie Awards from the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television, but uh, there were attempts to ban the film in the UK due to the sex scene with Gabriella because they deemed it to be offensive to people with disabilities, ah, but that did not go through. Uh, and then Ted Turner refused to distribute the film in the U.S., but eventually it released in the spring 1997 and tons of other controversies around the world and alternate cuts and everything. Definitely, uh, definitely a divisive film in its release, but I think these days is seen as one of Cronenberg's best films. Yeah, definitely has benefited from the... You know, time has been kind to this one, I think. Uh, It's one of those. As opposed to the other film titled Crash, (laughs) uh, which time has been very unkind to, and most people agree is a big old pile of stinky (laughs) doo-doo. 
I haven't seen that in a in a long time. I've never seen it. I just know people don't like it. Yeah, my parents bought it, bought me the DVD in high school because I was kind of interested in 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 hyperlink cinema with different storylines and stuff that was, uh, you know, uh, more artistic and and asking a lot of deep thematic questions. So they thought, hey, what about Crash? Um, and I don't think I liked it even then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was talking to the Podmaster about this because she saw that Crash um when like the year it came out um and i was talking to to her about how this this movie this the 1996 crash is sort of the now regarded as the good one and the other one uh and they're not related in any way other than the titles are the same right but like uh the other one is regarded as kind of the bad one and i was like basically saying that that's how people view them now and she's like yeah i don't remember people really liking it that much then either and she was like i didn't like it so um, she, she remembers it very well. Like it made an impression on her, but she doesn't remember it as being like a good movie. Um, so yeah. And the one best picture. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this isn't the crash 2000, whatever episode, 2004, I don't fucking know. I don't yeah. know. Uh, this is the crash 1996 episode, so we can get off that topic. <laughs> Let's uh, go ahead and talk about the movie. Let's get into it. Um, this is going to be tough because so many of these notes are going to be, they yeah. have sex and there's a car crash. Right. I mean, the the way to talk about this is maybe less specific, like scene to scene, uh, you know, and, and more kind of just the overarching journey that the movie takes you on, I think, <laughs> right? Um, in roughly linear order. Because basically what happens is like, you're introduced to James and Catherine Ballard, played by James Spader and Deborah Kara Unger. And they are in an open marriage Mm -hmm. and both of them start the movie as being weird fetishists of some kind, right? Because, uh, um, they, the, and sorry, when I say weird fetishists, I don't want to kink shame anybody. I do want to say this on this episode, not try to kink shame. Whatever you do, as long as it's consensual, is totally cool with me. However, some of the shit in this movie is really fucking weird. Um, <laughs> Deborah Kara Unger, the first scene we see her in, she's getting fucked while she presses her breast to a airplane. So she's we we are immediately getting the vibe that she is somehow sexually attracted to or has a fetish involving airplanes machines something yeah right she's she's getting fucked basically by her flying instructor yes and and the airplane is like part of it yeah um i think an essential part of it right and then uh james spader is uh he he works on like a movie set or a i, a, I believe it's a, a television commercial yeah okay um, so he's he's working in in film basically yeah. and he's like fucking a, a camera woman yeah um and so they're both uh it's it's an open marriage both of them are aware that they have other partners and both of them are kind of aware of each other's fetish stuff. Um, and uh, just for the record, uh, I am way too insecure to ever have an open marriage. <laughs> this is something the Podmaster and I have talked about before. Again, whatever you're into, whatever anybody's into, as long as it's consensual, that's cool. If you want to be in a relationship and also have sexual partners outside of that relationship, Happy for you. Great. As long as your partner is down with it and you've talked about it and the boundaries are clear, you do you. But for me and the podmaster personally, who have had this conversation, both of us would kill each other and ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that. So we're just never going to, we're just never going to go down that road. 
<laughs> because both of us are way too insecure. We we both have like way too much of our self-worth wrapped up in like our relationship with each other to ever be like, yeah, let's like bring in outside parties into this. It's like, no, no, no. That is a recipe for me feeling like fucking dog shit. Um, anyway, happy for James and Catherine though, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they uh they have a they have a conversation on the balcony of their apartment, which I assume they just have this conversation every day, which is who'd you fuck today? Right. And did you come? Yeah. And both of them are like, nah. <laughs> and um there's uh there's uh there's a line that uh Deborah Kara Ungar says that will come back later in the film where she says, Oh darling, maybe the next one. Maybe the next next time you have sex with someone, maybe the next person you sleep with right. will be the one where you finally orgasm. Yes. Uh also, by the way, all of this happens after uh, PowerPoint ass opening credits. <laughs> I did want to briefly bounce back to the uh, opening credits and just say that they um, look bad. They look like shit. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's early CGI. Yeah. But I don't know. There's a vibe there that I kind of like. Sure. With the colors. And I think the music the music's oh, great. Okay. Since you mentioned the music, Howard Shore yeah. fucking popped off with this score. Yeah, I agree. I it think- is... It's one of his best, in my opinion. And and he did, like, The Lord of the Rings, which I think, on a, from a, in a different way, is is as good or, or better or whatever. But there's such different scores, it's, like, weird to compare them, right? Yeah. I just think for this movie, he was the exact right person t- to do this score, and he made the exact right choices. Because it's, like, so, it's it's kind of, like, eerie and uh minimal and at the same time like really tense and unsettling and it's just uh really rad yeah he's worked with Cronenberg a ton like they've worked on on so many movies together I don't know about every movie that Cronenberg's made but yeah he did a lot of them I know he did the fly he did uh I think he did Videodrome yeah yeah Yeah. he's he did a bunch of them um uh and this score is mostly just electric guitar. Yeah. With uh like reverb effects and delay effects and a really like bright tone, but it's playing very dissonant minor dark music. It reminded me of some of the music that uh David Lynch uses in uh Twin Peaks, both Firewalk with Me and The Return, less a little bit in um uh the the TV show. Um, but some of uh, Angelo Badalamenti's stuff in in Firewalk with Me and The Return is a little bit like this, where it's yeah that kind of like almost bluesy electric guitar, but it's like blues that sounds kind of off, you know? Um, yeah, it's really really good shit. Yeah. Um. So James is uh, driving back to the the set, and he's looking at some storyboards in his car while he's driving, and Veers over the median into the far lane and crashes head on with another car. And the driver of the other car comes flying out of the windshield this fucking, and lands in James's car. This fucking dummy just rockets through this windshield. <laughs> it is primo dummy, dummy guy flying through the air shit. I, uh, the podmaster made me rewind this moment <laughs> so we could watch it again. And then when it happened, she was like, yeah, <laughs> she fucking loved it, and I loved it too. It is a really good guy going through a windshield. Yeah, 
The car crashes in this are all great. Yeah, they all look great. They're all realistic and like very low key. There's not a lot of like it's not very Hollywood. It's not no. flipping and explosions. And I shit. think that's kind of the thing that works so well for me about the car crashes yeah. in this movie is they are not really very cinematic, right? Um, and and by that I mean the camera is usually re- either in or really close to the outside of the car, and it kind it it gives you the feeling of being in the car at the moment of impact, right? You're not watching it as like an eye of God outside spectator, right? From a from a camera that is placed somewhere far away from the impact. You're like, you you feel it because he stays so close to the action mm-hmm. um, as the car is moving and as the cars are are colliding, right? And I just, I thought every single time it happened in this movie, I was like, really good way to shoot this because for this movie it's what you need and they're all at relatively low speeds like it's like at 40 miles an hour 50 miles an hour like right the kind of speeds that you would normally drive through a city Mm -hmm. and uh they're still visceral and like kind of hit you in that in the in the gut while you're watching it um and and you see the you see the the damage that the human body can experience and that cars experience even at such low speeds. Yeah. Have you ever been in a car accident, David? I have. Yeah. So have I, I have not, I I didn't come, but yes. (laughs) Well, it's a thing that I thought was interesting watching this movie as someone who's been in a few. Um, and, and none, none have ever been like super serious, but I've, I've totaled more than one car in accidents, not all of, which have been my fault, uh, but some of which were because I was a stupid teen driver <laughs> at one point. Um, so uh, watching this movie, th- there was a there's a moment in the movie where they're talking about the kind of primal uh, release of a car accident, right? And and I think Cronenberg's sort of trying to make a point about how the modern human is very repressed, right? And how all of this um ferocious emotional energy that we have inside of us we kind of like stamp down to uh exist in polite society right and a car crash is an involuntary moment where your lizard brain kind of takes over and i think in this in this movie he's using the sexual element of the lizard brain to make a bigger point because uh sexual um uh desire and arousal is one of the most one of the one of the most universal although I don't want to exclude any asexual people out there <laughs> one it is relatively universal and it's also very intense right so he's using that because it it makes a good point to explore other themes but I I think he's on to something about how when you get into a car accident it sort of turns you into the purest version of yourself like the part of yourself that isn't hiding behind any mental walls that you've put up. It's kind of where the, it's, it's where the inner um, chimpanzee comes out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I haven't gotten a boner from any of the car accidents I've been in, <laughs> but listening to, to the characters in this movie kind of talk about how a car accident is this disruptive moment that some of us have experienced where suddenly you're no longer a rational human being and you're kind of just an animal, right? I was like, yeah, that rings true for me. And I like relate to it, which 
because this movie is what it is, was an uncomfortable feeling for me to relate to that. And I'm like, great, good. I Because this movie's trying to make you uncomfortable on some level. Um, and so I thought it, that really worked for me. Anyway. Yeah. Um, unless you want to count the, uh, when I rear-ended a, a parked car <laughs> a couple weeks ago, uh, the only other car crash I've been in was very low speed, like 10 or 15 miles an hour. Um, and even then, you know, the way the car reacted on the road when it was hit, the way my body reacted, you feel very frail and yeah. vulnerable. And now suddenly you are, you are flesh traveling along in a metal box. Right. Right. And, um, there is, uh, there is something terrifying about that, but I think this, this movie is obviously a lot about sex and death. Yeah. Um, but sex is also a time when we feel very vulnerable mm -hmm. and feel very exposed to that other person. Yeah. So combining those two situations. Yeah. I think it's, it, it makes for a very affecting, uncomfortable viewing experience. And, you know, as the film goes along, it's, it's interesting, you know, do you, as a viewer, do you become intoxicated by it? Do you become like the characters in the movie where it excites you and interests you and turns you on? Uh, or does it become boring to you? Or does it become, you know, increasingly more horrifying? Right, right. Yeah. Um, and speaking of uh, getting your wires crossed with the whole sex and death thing uh, by way of car crashes, uh, that's what happens to James Spader in this accident. <laughs> He he looks across uh, at the other vehicle that the dummy hilariously flew out of, and uh, this guy's now dead in his car. He flew through the one uh, windshield and, and into the other one. Um, so James Spader's like next to this guy's corpse, and he looks into the car, and Holly Hunter's in there, um, and she takes one boob out, which is a thing that women love to do in this movie. I'm not sure. There's some visual motifs in this movie where I'm like. Okay, David Cronenberg, I see that you're doing this multiple times. I understand it's a visual motif. It probably means something. Not really clear on what it is about one boob specifically. <laughs> um, but that's what happens. And James Spader is like, he's got the weirdest boner right now. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure what the one boob thing is totally. Um, when we get to like the sex scenes, I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit more because uh, it... it Cronenberg said he approached he he felt like he used a lot of restraint in this movie. Yes, and I kind of tend to agree. <laughs> his, his version of restraint is one boob instead of two boobs. Uh, that That's might what the be one it. Boob thing. <laughs> He's like, look, look, I'm really trying here. She only has one boob out. <laughs> like, what more do you want from me? No boobs. <laughs> <laughs> so James goes. What, are you crazy? Gotta <laughs> <laughs> have at least one boob. <laughs> <laughs> James goes to the hospital uh, with stitches in his face and neck and his legs are in braces. Yeah, um, and the braces are like, there's a lot of metal in this brace penetrating his leg. Like there's little metal rods um, that are like stuck through his skin, uh, presumably like into the bone of his leg. Um, and that is a classic David Cronenberg visual. He loves metal penetrating flesh. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, she, uh, Deborah K. Kara Angar says that, you know, the, the, the dead guy's wife 
is is around in this hospital. Yeah. Maybe you'll find her while you're uh, walking around. So yeah, sure enough, he's wandering around the hospital learning to walk and finds her in the halls of the hospital with a cane and meets Vaughn. Yes. Played by Elias Cotius. Yes. Uh, who I mostly know from his couple of collaborations with uh, David Fincher because he's in Zodiac and something else. Oh, Benjamin Button. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I've seen him in a few things as well. He's a, he's a Canadian actor. Um, and I think he's, he's great in this movie. Um, Justice, you introduced us to a new bit on the podcast, <laughs> a new thing on the podcast yes. last week with, uh, will, would we eat it? And I don't. Would we eat this? Would please, we eat this? Please. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's get the name of our own segment right. <laughs> no, just fucking. Wait. And I don't want to. I don't want to seem like I'm uh, just you know stealing your idea. <laughs> I think I see where this is going. But this has been a, a recurring theme all the way back to our very first episode. It's shown up a few a few times. I want to officially codify it as part of the podcast, uh, especially because of this character. So, we are interrupting this podcast to bring you a disgusting shit people watch news bulletin. <laughs> Justice, yes. we have to talk about Vaughn. Yes. He is a, a filthy weird rat man. <laughs> uh, the thing is, the thing about Vaughn is... I think the movie is doing this on purpose and executing it very well. He is simultaneously really sexy and really gross, <laughs> which I think is the point, right? Right. Um, but yeah, he's like super pale and he's always got like dirt, like under his, I think his motor oil actually is what it's supposed to be. Like under his fingernails, like his hands always look like dirty and greasy. Um, and yeah, uh, Vaughn is a guy who definitely... I would give the advice to shave that dome, brother, because he's he's got some hair, but he's got a real thin spot up top, and he's keeping it close cut. It's like the Caesar the Caesar cut thing, where it's like super super short, so he gets away with it. But honestly, just lose the hair entirely at this point, my man. Um, he's also like all scarred up. Yes. Yeah. Um, he is a disgusting, like the most disgusting shit person that we've come across so far yeah because i think there have been others like like chop top who are entertaining and fun maybe not someone we would want to actually meet in real life yeah um however vaughn in this movie is uh just rancid vibes yes all the way down uh i can again i can smell him through the screen like yeah. a lot of other disgusting shit people and he smells like motor oil and salty, salty cum. Yes, his car does smell like cum. We, that is something that is specifically called out in this movie. And I, uh, this guy just gives me the creeps, and I, I don't want to hang out with him. In fact, what I want to do is like, uh, you know, you know how the Romans used to sew someone into a sack with like a dog, <laughs> a snake, and a chicken, and throw them in the river. <laughs> I don't think I do know about that, but you just described that's, it for me, so I have no follow-up questions. That's what we need to do with Vaughn. <laughs> he's, he's the guy. This is, and I think this is the point of his character in the movie, because I think the car crash um, fetish community in this movie is sort of supposed to be like a heightened BDSM community, 
right? Like, I think that that's like a thing that David Cronenberg is kind of playing with. He's sort of the guy in in the BDSM community or just, just the guy involved in any kind of sexual activity who doesn't really respect boundaries and consent and stuff. He's kind of like, like, yeah, but you like, like it when I cross the line, right? You know? And the problem is that sometimes the characters in this movie and also people in real life when interacting with that type of person are like, oh, hey, yeah, it is kind of sexy when you cross that boundary without me giving you permission to. But then like sometimes it's really, really not. And he like doesn't respect the difference, right? Yes. Yeah. There's there's a point in this movie where he becomes very dark and predatory and obsessive. Yeah. Um, and it's all about him. It's all about him, right? He's like a, he's a, a narcissist, it, it seems like. And a lot of it is about him, his own sexual gratification. But I also think there's something deeper here where it's like, he's, he's sort of playing with all of these people's lives to, so that he can feel like God, which I think is also kind of a sexual gratification thing for him. Like, I think that's part of him busting a nut is feeling like God. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, bad, bad vibes. Not a guy you would want to have around. <laughs> but it is a guy who James Spader ends up choosing to be around a bunch. Um, in this first scene, though, when we meet him, he just seems like he like works at the hospital um, and has all these pictures of like the injuries from the car accident. Um, and he's like looking at James Spader's injuries. And yeah, stuff. he's, he's expe- inspecting the scars and the, uh, the braces very closely. Yeah, and uh, all- get a big old pitch in a tent all, uh, already <laughs> already just uh given off the worst vibes possible yeah thank you for joining us for this disgusting shit people watch now back to your regularly regularly scheduled program <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, uh, the next scene here is Catherine giving James a hand job in the hospital bed while she describes the car wreck. Yes, because James Spader is into it. <laughs> he, uh, I think his thing in this movie is that he's more into the metal and the machines than he is into flesh. I think that's kind of his, that was my read on his part of this whole thing is it really is the crashes for him. Yeah. Whereas for some people, it's kind of like the adrenaline and like the, the border between life and death. And for him, it, it kind of seems like it's just, he wants to fuck a car, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's true. Um, because later in the movie, he, uh, but just buys his, the same car. Again, he buys the same car, same color. The very end of the movie, he buys Vaughn's Lincoln Continental yeah. from the impound lot and, and, and drives that around. So, yeah, I think, he's, I think he is really just interested in cars and metal. And that is, that is the thing that is missing in his sexual relationship with, uh, with Catherine. Yeah. So here's my question for you, Justice. Yeah. He's getting a hand job while Catherine is describing <laughs> what the car, what, what the what the damage to the car is like in very explicit detail. Yeah, is this kind of hot? This one for me, no. Uh, I will say it's going to be interesting to see where we 
differ and and converge here. I think for me, there were two sex scenes in this movie that I found kind of hot. And all of the rest of them are sort of repellent to me. And I I know that David Cronenberg crafting this film sort of intended, like you were saying previously, for different audience members to have different responses to all of the various sex acts in this movie, right? Um, For me personally, there's two that are kind of hot. The rest of them, I'm like, I was kind of like skeeved out a little bit in a way that I enjoyed. I like being skeeved out while watching movies. But this one, not really hot to me. I kind of think it's hot. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I kind of think it's hot. That's fine. Um, That's your right. (laughs) I don't know if it's because I think, you know, getting a hand job from Deborah Kara Ongar just... Well, Sounds I mean, like a nice thing. In in general, you know, she's a very beautiful woman and James Spader is an attractive enough man sure. and their chemistry is good. So like that part of it, sure. But the her describing the car wreck to him part of it for me, I was like, Ugh. Yeah, that was doing it for me. And I'm not oh, sure. Okay. I'm All not right. sure why. That's fine. But I think <laughs> I'm it, happy for you. Yeah. Well, this is like the this is the introduction to how how James James Spader's character is going to evolve and change throughout this movie and, and how his relationship with car crashes is going to change his sexual relationship. Yeah. And I think it's important that in this scene, you kind of get it. Mm-hmm. You kind of start to see where he's coming from with it. Yeah. And for me, at least, it was working. And I think, like you said, there are other sex scenes later in this movie that aren't uh, attractive to me, yeah. aren't enticing to me at all. Um, but for whatever reason, Deborah Kara Ungar explaining, uh, how the windshield is cracked and the glass everywhere while giving James Spader a hand job. <laughs> that was doing it for me. That was doing it for me. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway, so then after this, James Spader is out of the hospital is basically the next like big thing. Right. And he does like fully meet um holly hunter's character yeah um in like the parking garage or whatever they have a little conversation where basically um they're like kind of talking about the accident and immediately the vibe is very horny everybody in this movie is horny for every person that they're talking to on screen at every moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) there is no moment of this movie where the two characters speaking to each other don't want to fuck each other (laughs) um but yeah so uh then james spader goes home he's like recovering from the accident and he's up on his balcony with binoculars looking at the traffic on the highways below his apartment because he's got like they have an apartment on like a higher floor of the building and this whole time uh, every tick, cause he does this a few times in the movie where he's like watching the traffic with binoculars. And I'm like, yeah, he's literally just up there watching the highways, waiting for someone to get into a fender bender and then just like cranking his hog <laughs> right <laughs> on his balcony being like, oh yeah, the cars hit each other. Ugh. Right. Um, which was just a very funny mental image for he, me. He, Again, he, not to king shame. Yeah. He isn't actually jerking off, but that no, is, that is the implication. That's the implication to the point where I'm like, I, I think David Cronenberg knows that that's what I'm going to think when I see him with these binoculars on the balcony. <laughs> well, there's something interesting about the balcony as a set and as a location in this movie because yeah. we see some stuff in their apartment, but a lot of the interactions that they have are on the balcony. And the balcony is almost, it is, it is a, both a voyeuristic location where you were also kind of exposed. Yeah. So they're, you know, you're, they're very high up. No one's actually going to see them, but someone could. 
Right. And the, the there there is an element of, of voyeurism in this movie that I I I found interesting and um the I think the yeah I think the balcony was just like a really interesting representation of that where he's obsessively watching these car crashes mm-hmm. or not or watching car crashes he's obsessively watching the traffic up there um they're having their conversations about sex up there they're they are starting to you know sometimes fooling around and starting to get hot and heavy up there on the balcony mm-hmm. but it's it's weirdly the place where they are there they are again like vulnerable and open mm-hmm. and also being kind of voyeuristic and predatory yeah so he goes to find the impound lot where his uh his wrecked car was taken and goes to sit in it and he finds porn and nude photographs <laughs> in the seat which which one of the porn magazines is called a, or a, it might be a videotape it's called a fistful of bimbos yeah. <laughs> which which I thought was a very funny name for a porno. <laughs> Just got a fistful of bimbos. And it's like, is is this a porn parody of a fistful of dollars? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> think she was in like a, a cowboy outfit or anything on the cover. No, so it's like, uh, what what is this, you know, Western reference? I'm not sure what's going on with a fistful of bimbos, but yeah. But later it's implied that Vaughn left these there and, and came by to photograph the car. Mm. Um because he's a he's a disgusting shit person. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about it more. Yeah. Um. And uh, Helen shows up. Helen, played by Holly Hunter, yeah, is looking for her husband's car, and they they sort of realize that they're both weirdly finding themselves weirdly obsessed with like watching the traffic mm-hmm. and um the getting back into cars after after this accident happens. Um so he he offers to give her a ride and he, he again he's bought the same exact car as the as the as his original one. As they're talking and talking about how she's noticed traffic has started to pick up too. There's he's kind of like fiddling with his seatbelt a little bit. Yeah. Almost yeah. like he's he's fidgeting and like fiddling with his pants. Right. And then he he takes the seatbelt off. Which I think is also kind of like a thing because it's, it's kind of because he's getting horny talking yeah. to Holly Hunter. And he's like, if I'm going to crash this car, having my seatbelt on is going to make me unable to nut. So I better take this off in case I end up doing a crash fuck here. Yeah, um, uh, yeah it is. It is. It is, again, the extension of the body to the object, to materials, right? And it like he's sort of the car, yeah. And so him taking that seatbelt on is kind of, or taking that seatbelt off is kind of like him whipping his dick out, yeah. Right? And, and they do more stuff um, with like the cars in foreplay later, yeah. Uh, and they they almost get into an accident, and they pull into a parking garage and they fuck. Yes. Uh, which by the way, them almost getting to an accident, getting into an accident. The podmaster did mention that that is their equivalent of edging, which is correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, yep. They fuck in this parking garage. It's also pretty funny. They say that the parking garage is going to be like completely empty. And then when they pull in, there's like someone walking right by, there's like a person pulling into a space right behind them. It's like not empty at all. <laughs> um, but I think the exhibitionism thing is also like maybe a little bit of a part of it. So yeah. Um, also, uh, in the scene where they're driving, Holly Hunter lights a cigarette with a car cigarette lighter. Man, what a relic of a better time. Car <laughs> cigarette lighters. Remember when you could just like make a little coil of metal 
fucking glowing orange hot in a moving vehicle you know and, just to light a cigarette right theoretically to light a cigarette but you could use that for anything you wanted <laughs> you can light anything on fire if you want um and we don't uh, that's not allowed anymore yeah <laughs> it's very sad <laughs> they fuck and importantly they both orgasm yes and that is immediately contrasted when we cut to james and Catherine fucking their apartment in their apartment yes. later that night and they don't orgasm well is this the one where... No, this isn't the one where they're talking about Bond yet. You're no. right. Yep. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, so our next big scene here is uh, just more... Our, really our our big introduction to Vaughn. Yeah. Which is the performance art car crash thing. Demolition derby slash porno theater <laughs> hybrid. <laughs> yeah. So he basically leads these like performance art pieces where... They recreate crashes, famous of, car crashes, famous car crashes of Hollywood celebrities. Yes. In this case, it's it's James Dean yeah. with like a replica of his Porsche and a replica of the the car, the other driver. I don't think the Princess Diana one had happened yet. If it had, that would for sure be one that they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and and Vaughn, uh, you know, is dramatically describing the details of the crash while he's like rubbing his hands all over these cars and um, they use stunt drivers and everything like that. And uh, James Spader and, and Holly Hunter are in the audience. Yeah. And okay. so they do the, they do the James Dean crash. Right. And uh, the, the guy who's in James Dean's Porsche, uh, which by the way, the podmaster looked this up $2 million of this movie's $9 million budget was that Porsche that they crashed, which I think fucking rocks. <laughs> David Cronenberg is a fucking madman. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they, uh, the guy who's driving the, the James Dean Porsche is like unresponsive after the crash for a second. And Vaughn just like gets out of the car and keeps fucking doing his little performance speech. Um, but then this guy, Colin Seagrave, who, when he's wearing the James Dean sunglasses, looks like old fat Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Not when he takes them off as much. Um, he, uh, kind of eventually comes to, but he's like concussed. Right. Um, and, and, uh, James Spader is horned up as soon as these cars crash. So he's, you know, discovering more and more about himself as he uh, engages with this community. Yeah, they get like a standing ovation. Yeah. Then and there's like a sting from the Department of Transportation. <laughs> <laughs> and they all run away from the cops who are not cops. They're, they're DOT. Yeah. Yeah. And Seagrave <laughs> is like actually injured. So Vaughn is kind of helping him limp away into the woods. Yeah. And they go back to uh, this house. I think it's Seagrave's house. Yeah. And we meet, uh, we meet Vaughn's little freaky car fucker cult yes um and these these people i don't know if it's in this scene but in some of the scenes here they're like watching footage of car crashes yeah i don't think they're watching it in this scene but i yeah. don't know what they're watching yeah um yes the one of them seems to be colin seagrave's romantic partner i think uh because there's a couple women here i think one is vaughn's one is like vaughn's lady one is maybe like colin seagrave's main main lady right mm -hmm. um and yeah and then there's uh uh ballard and and holly also show up here and kind of join the group yeah um seagrave and and vaughn are want to do the jane mansfield crash yeah uh with 
like a decapitation <laughs> which is, and a dead dog in the back seat. It, it's very funny because as Vaughn starts talking to Colin Seagrave about this, Seagrave is still concussed from the James Dean crash. Yeah. He literally has a concussion and he's like sitting in the chair, kind of like trying to, you know, get his bearings or whatever. And Vaughn comes up and is like, Hey, so I want to talk to you about the next crash. And I'm like, man, can you not fucking top talk shop to me while I am literally concussed? Like if there is any time to shut the fuck up about work, I know it's not work. It's their passion or whatever, but still, Right? Don't ask me to fucking plan shit with you while I am literally, like, currently concussed. <laughs> Wait for, like, 48 hours before we talk shop. Seagrave seems to be into it, he's, though, No, he's into it. Because he, <laughs> he's like, I want to have real great big tits that get cut up on the dashboard. Out to here. <laughs> he, wants, he wants big old titties. Uh, which, <laughs> good for him. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's nuts um that they go from car crash concussion department of transportation sting to immediately like hey that went down without a hitch let's do the next one (laughs) right um which i think again like highlights that vaughn is bad for these people right because he's the one keeping the momentum around all this going and taking it into like really dangerous territory right again if you use it as a metaphor for other sex acts that don't involve crashing cars right um but just consider you know, sexual activity in general, Vaughn is like not a guy that you want to be involved with in in those kind of scenarios because like you just did something risky and every everything turned out okay, but you also need like some aftercare, you know? And instead he's like, let's get on to the next thing. It's going to be even bigger, right? Yeah. He's like chasing the next high and you're like, no, like we got to fucking take care of ourselves, man. Like let's, no pun intended pump the brakes <laughs> i think that pun was a little intended <laughs> well it started becoming intended as i was as my brain was uh coming up with the words yeah. yeah um yeah i think you're right i think vaughn is the 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 influence here yeah and he um they they are a cult yeah you know like it is a fetish community, but but I think the the movie also probably rightfully so treats it like a cult. They're, yeah, they're and, all infatuated with him, and he is fueling this like addiction and pushing them further and further. And he speaks in kind of grandiose terms about the whole thing, where he's like, "This is going to change the world," and then later he's talking about like prophecy and stuff. Like he, there is that cult angle to it, where it's like, "Yeah, this is kind of all about us fucking." being able to shoot but also (laughs) it is like there's kind of a religious angle to it yeah yeah um vaughn shows ballard his 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 album of uh car crash injuries and photographs yes his his porno scrapbook that he has as a little hobby when he's not making car crashes he's like my main passion is car crashes but i find time to do a little scrapbooking and put together these these little dirty scrapbooks yeah (laughs) for if uh it's i'm i'm between income and can't buy another car to crash i can just jerk off to my little injury scrapbook yeah and it includes photos of james and helen fucking in the uh, in the impound lot yeah Oh, also in this scene, we uh, one of the the women in the group uh, comes in a- as they're talking, 
uh, and she has a she has a false leg, presumably from a car crash fetish related injury. And there is a joint compartment. I did note the joint compartment in her false leg, which is fucking baller. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is Gabrielle played by Rosanna Arquette. She yes. has false leg and a huge leg brace. Um, yeah, that that comes into play later in the movie. But yes, I did like the joint compartment the, very much. The joint compartment, I was losing my shit. Uh, I, there's a couple things in this movie that I think are very intentionally funny like that, right? Yeah, Where I was going to ask. I think this movie is funny. I think it is. I think David Cronenberg's movies are always a, a little funny. I don't think I've seen a movie from him that I think is completely devoid of humor, right? Um, and I haven't seen all of his movies, but I've seen like six or so. Um, and I think like of all the ones I'm thinking of history of violence is maybe the least funny one. Um, but all the rest of them, I'm like, no, there's moments where I'm laughing in Videodrome and the fly and, you know, um, even crimes of the future, you know, I think there's funny shit in there. Yeah. Um, I think, I think he knows how to write a joke. Um, it's not, he doesn't make comedies, but I don't think that there is a David Cronenberg movie that's devoid of a sense of humor. So, uh, the next big thing here is James is following Catherine as she's driving around and Vaughn shows up in his evil Lincoln Continental. <laughs> his, his matte black. <laughs> yes. Evil Lincoln. This car is so fucking evil. <laughs> it's a very evil car. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's an extension of him, right? It, like, right. like it is like the, the cars are for the other characters in the movie. Yeah. Um, and he, he pulls up behind, uh, behind Catherine and starts driving really erratically. Um, and, and James, there's, there's again, there's so little dialogue in this movie. James seems kind of of scared yes. for Catherine, but also he's also turned on. He's also turned on. Yeah, right. Um, they pull over and 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 uh, Vaughn just peels off. But yeah, this is the start of Vaughn trying to bring Catherine into the cult. Yeah, more mm. later. Catherine and James are fucking back in their apartment. Yes, and this is when they start talking about Vaughn. Yes. This is one of the ones that's kind of hot to me in a weird way, right? Okay. I kind of think all the talking about Vaughn stuff is sort of, was sort of repulsive to me. But I think the sex act itself in this scene is shot in a very erotic way, right? In a way that some of the other sex scenes aren't, right? This scene visually is ex- extremely sexy. <laughs> Right. And because of that, I was kind of like, yeah, like you kind of got me here, David Cronenberg, where I'm hearing what she's saying, where she's like, describe his scarred penis to me and like, tell me what his asshole looks like. And I'm like, I don't really like that. But you're making me wonder if I don't like it <laughs> is sort of what what was going on with me in this one. And I think that that is that comes down to him being a great director and him lighting and shooting this scene in a way that's like almost pornographic, you know, like it, it, it is to me, this scene is very clearly intended to be really sexy. I yeah. Think. Um, the, the, the dialogue is very clinical. It is, it is where you're using the word penis yeah. and anus, you yeah. know, describe his penis to me. Um, it, it is not, it is not played up for, for anything. Like we're not, we're not saying fuck. We're not saying cock. We're yeah. not trying to make it. We're not trying to make it sexy, and this is something that comes from the book, mm. where the sex acts are described very 
uh, my, from my understanding, described very clinically. Right. Um, but I agree with you. I think the the pose that the actors are in and the way it's lit and the amount of skin that they're showing is very sexy. So it makes you confused. Yes, yes. That, um, and I think that that is the intent. So good job, David Cronenberg, because I was confused. And I let's just let's just talk about the sex. Yeah. In general, in this movie. Yeah. I think it is kind of restrained in a lot of places because <laughs> you're right. I think everyone's only taken one boob out for some reason. Although you do see, you see all of Deborah Kara Unger in this movie. Yeah, we do. There is no part of her that you do not see in this movie. <laughs> you're right. But I think the scene where you see her fully naked is supposed to be different than the other sex scenes in this movie. That's correct. Although you do see pretty much all of her in the scene that we're talking about now as well. Yeah. There's like full frontal of her in this scene as well. Yeah. But they're like, they're on their side and, and, <laughs> and it doesn't count if they're on their side. No, I mean like, <laughs> I, I, I think the reason that people react to this movie so negatively yeah. is more so than the actual depiction of, of sex and violence in this movie. It's the idea of it. Right. Okay. That I can get behind. Yeah. I get where you're going with this. And and I think I am now on board because I'm thinking about another movie that had a similar kind of um, divisive response in terms of like people were just so um, offended by the content, right? Um, Where a lot of people were like, you know, how can you watch this filth sort of thing? which is a movie I know you haven't seen, but uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, Mm -hmm. right? And when you watch that movie, it's not super explicit, right? The things that you actually see are not, it's it's not, you know, pornographic, right? There's, uh, There's a lot that is left to the imagination, right? A lot that's implied. But what is being implied is the thing that people take very strong exception to in that movie. Yeah. And so I think I agree with you that this movie is kind of on similar territory. It does show a lot, right? (laughs) I definitely don't think this movie doesn't show a lot, (laughs) right? But you're right. You don't see any cocks flopping around or anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking of like Game of Thrones. Yeah. And how, okay, yeah, yeah, how yeah. prevalent nudity right. and sex was in Game of Thrones. And right. like, You're definitely not seeing more in this movie than you would be seeing in, in Game of Thrones. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. In Game of Thrones, I think a lot of the sex in that show is rape and assault. Right. And um, yeah. violence against sex workers and right. stuff like that. And this movie doesn't we, have very much of that. Yeah. We, <laughs> we dip into we dip into some questionable, questionable stuff towards the end. Yeah. Um, but it's not to the level of something like that. So I... I think I think it is just the idea of having sex in a car crash um, that that turned so many people off right. and made the, them the react. The taboo so. of it was was uncomfortable for people. Right. Yeah. I think I think when you actually watch the film, that's that's kind of the magic of it is that the the horror of this movie lives more so in your mind than it does on the screen. That's true. That's true. As all the best or- horror does, I think. Um, anyway. So in this scene where, when, where Catherine and James are, are fucking and they're talking about Vaughn, they're talking about his big car and has he fucked women in his big car and his car smells like cum and yeah, all of this stuff. And um, they orgasm. They orgasm during the sex and this is very important. Yes, because... that's one of the reasons this scene's hot to me. Okay. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, 
they both finished. That's nice. Well, well, and this is this is both this is where they decide that they like they need to incorporate Vaughn yeah. into their sexual relationship right. as well. Right. Um, because I the sex is important if you pay attention to it. Right. And yeah. and in some ways it is where we see character motivations more than anywhere else. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It's definitely when the characters are being their most authentic selves in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene here where, yeah, the, the, the car fuckers all gather together and they watch <laughs> car, car crash test dummy footage. And there's a very funny moment where the tape freezes and Holly Hunter is trying to, like, fix the VCR. Yeah. Because she really has to finish. She's all hot and bothered, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, while they were watching this crash test dummy, dummy footage, um, I just it just occurred to me that uh, these people, if they existed in the year 2023, would fucking love those crash simulator video game vid- uh, videos on TikTok. You know what I'm talking about? There's like those video games where you- Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's like a car going like 10 miles an hour and it's like a little computer simulation and it hits like a fucking barrier or something and kind of like bounces off a little bit and it just keeps increasing the speed until it's going like 300 miles an hour and it fucking like spirals into the air and like <laughs> bounces well, off cliffs and shit. <laughs> just go into YouTube and there's tons of car crash compilations or or, <laughs> or dash cam near misses or phone, phone yeah. videos. Maybe Vaughn's little group did survive into the internet age and now they just don't have to crash real cars anymore. More because there's so much porn of it now. These would for them. <laughs> these questions would be answered if Crash had sequels. That's what I'm saying. That's what the uh, the reboot cool is about. Yeah, it's uh he the their their the Ballard child is a TikTok content creator who just makes those Crash Test Simulator videos. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So they're like essentially all gathered around the TV watching porno. Um, and they're also sort of, uh, again, planning the, the Jane Mansfield crash, right? There's some more talk about that, I think. Yeah. Um, and later Vaughn and James are driving and we get more about what Vaughn's whole philosophy is here, where he, he talks about the car crash as like a liberating sexual event. And it's like, this is, it's his project. Yeah. He's this is sort exploring. of what I was referring to earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, there's a line here where he says, I think the car crash is a benevolent psychopathology that beckons toward us, which is a, which is a great line. Yes. And And very much ties into the, the erotic, the eroticization, 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 the eroticism (laughs) of the eroticism of the line, the fragile line between life and death. Right. Um, which is something that humans have been fascinated with. Uh, as long as art has been around to document it. Like the ancient Greeks have shit about this. Sure. Where it's basically like there is a thin border between being alive and being dead. And that sort of is hot. Right. Um, And this, the stuff that Vaughn's saying in the scene, I think is where I started picking up on that as a, as the major theme of this movie. Right. Um, Cause it was, it was in my head as like, okay, this is one of the things that this movie's about. And then in this scene where he's talking about this, um, I was like, oh, this is the thing this movie is about. Is basically about um, the thin line between life and death, the eroticism of that, and how the eroticism of that, of that in the modern world, like a postmodern version of that, involves uh, our objects, our technology, our machines, because they have been so intrinsically tied to our own identity, our own value, our own self-worth, 
and uh, we re- we depend on them and rely upon them so much, right? Um, so yeah, that's just a thing I was thinking about in this in this scene as he was talking about that. Is I was like, oh yeah, this is basically the point of this movie is basically if you stare into the void, it will stare back into you, and then your pee pee might get a little bit hard from that, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and and it's also about the the way that car crashes have infected popular culture and capture the popular consciousness. Yeah. Uh, In this scene, they talk about how part of Vaughn's like fantasies is to drive a a car with history, a car that a celebrity has crashed in. Uh, And James Spader kind of deduces that the reason he drives a Lincoln Continental is because he sees the JFK assassination as a, 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 a car crash in its own way. Right. A type of a car crash. Yeah. And um, I, I, I find that really interesting because I think about how JF, the JFK assassination like changed an entire generation of people this yeah. time. And, um, you know, even... I mean, we are, we are a culture obsessed with death and we are also obsessed with people who push things to the extreme. Yeah, and we sort of like idolize that yeah yeah so they pick up a sex worker yeah and james drives the lincoln continental around while vaughn and the sex worker fool around in the back and um vaughn's watching or not vaughn uh uh james is watching in the rearview mirror he's like (laughs) angling it so he can see the action which i was like oh he likes to watch (laughs) yeah uh Yeah. yeah um this is this is again i think we're starting to see vaughn as as a bit more predatory, as a bit darker of a character. Yeah, although character. like nothing that he does with the sex worker seems like non consensual, right? And she she kind of seems like she's enjoying herself. Yeah, but yeah, there is definitely a darker tone that starts showing up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and in the the next scene immediately, um, I think. Catherine is picking James up from the television set, the television commercial set. Yeah. And Vaughn is also outside waiting too. And he's being questioned by police and about the death of a pedestrian. Yes. Uh, like a pedestrian who is involved in an auto accident. And I think it's really interesting that uh, James is immediately like, well, he didn't have anything to do with that. He has no interest in pedestrians because it's all about the cars hitting each other, right? A car running over somebody else isn't hot. <laughs> like a, a car running over just a body isn't hot. It's about metal on metal. Yeah. I thought that was just a really interesting, like specific line uh, in the scene. Yeah. Um, and James offers to to give him a ride because he's a little bit shaken up. And then that that crack in, in Vaughn's aggressive kind of for lack of a better word alpha personality yeah of him being shaken up from this uh from from the police interrogating him uh when he sees catherine he immediately reverts back to that right he has stronger personality assert himself which he does by taking his shirt off and showing off his scars yes (laughs) he's like look my body looks so fucked up aren't you so hot or uh so horny right now yeah (laughs) so uh, which she kind of is yeah yeah um so they drive to a, a car crash, like a highway accident, after hearing about it on a police scanner. And Vaughn starts taking photos of the crash. Yeah, and... they drive, like, right up to it. Yeah. And they're, like, walking around, like, amongst the accident survivors and emergency personnel. 
This is my favorite part of this movie. I love the way that this is all shot. Uh, Howard Shore's score here goes insanely fucking hard. And there's, it's it's kind of an extended sequence. He really, Cronenberg really takes his time here at this accident scene, showing, like, just shooting the um, emergency personnel, like, using the jaws of life to, like, get people out of cars and, like, the accident survivors sitting, like, shaken and, and kind of shell-shocked, right? Um, and, and like the adrenaline, like running so high and them processing all of it. Right. And then these fucking sex weirdos walking around and getting all hot from all of this. Yeah. Right. And I love the way that Cronenberg kind of contrasts the horror and the trauma of the accident scene with like their excitement with like Vaughn and James and Catherine's excitement around it. Um, I think it's, it's the perfect kind of wordless encapsulation of what the movie is about is this little movement here where we're just kind of exploring this, this accident scene and the, and the set piece just looks great as well. Yeah. It's very yeah. surreal and very quiet. Yes. Which I like dreamlike. Is, yeah. And, and I, I haven't been in an accident to that level, but I can kind of imagine it maybe feeling like that. Right. And there's a, there's a great scene where there's a woman who's been in the accident who's just sitting on the ground. She's covered in blood. And Catherine sits down next to her. Mm. And, and he's looking directly at her. Yeah. Like watching, like studying her. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's a very, it's very chilling to me. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, I think this whole moment fucking rules. Yeah. And it's beautifully lit. The score is great. Just the staging of the, the props, the, the cars and the wreckage and, the uh, personnel and it, it's all it's all a really really well done sequence. Yeah. Um, and Catherine hasn't really had her car crash yet, mm. so Vaughn starts taking photos of her near the cars, in the cars, doing a little photo shoot. The emergency personnel don't say anything about this or yeah. try to stop them, which I understand they're like actively trying to save lives. So maybe they're not noticing it or paying attention to it, but it would be really funny if someone was like, Hey, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, you know, it seems like a couple of people are dead. Yeah. Uh, they, they pry a, a woman out with the jaws of life. And then we find out that, Seagraves is the one responsible for the crash. Yes. He did the Jane Mansfield crash with the Chihuahua in the backseat and the wig in the big old titties. Yeah. Uh, and Vaughn is like, oh, you son of a bitch. He did it without me. And he's like, his, the vibe is he's sort of disappointed, but also impressed and proud is kind of the vibe. Yeah. Right. Where he's like, oh, this is beautiful. Like you, you really did it. And he's like, and I missed it is sort of his like, that kind of the energy, yeah, which is very fucked up and weird. Yeah, I yeah I agree. And, and Seagrave, to be clear, is dead. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so from there, uh, Catherine has is very interested in all of this, <laughs> having uh, been at this uh, crash scene. Right, they go uh, back into Vaughn's car. Uh, James is driving, and they go to the car wash. Uh, which um, the only thing I was thinking about in this scene was went to the car wash today because I do a running bit on my Twitter where when I go to the car wash, I photograph myself making stupid faces like I am terrified of the car wash machinery. Um, but that's not what they do. Instead, Vaughn partially consensually has relatively rough sex with Catherine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's an interesting thing because I don't think the movie is interested 
in making it clear to you whether this is rape or not. Right. Which is obviously for a purpose. And it it just makes you feel very uncomfortable as a viewer, right? Where you're just like, I'm not, I don't really know whether a line here is being crossed or not. And the movie's kind of like, what do you think, person watching this? Yeah, and there's there's no music during the scene. Yeah. All you hear is the machinery of the car wash, and it gets louder as the sex gets more intense. And you also hear the human noises yes. as well, right? Um, um, yeah. I Yeah, I think this is a, a really well-directed scene be, because it is so ambiguous. Yeah. It definitely is the part of the movie where I felt the most upset and repulsed and uncomfortable again in a way that I think is a positive for the movie because as a viewer I like feeling those things when I watch a movie yeah. like this right but I was just very like I it it was upsetting <laughs> yeah um and and Catherine is like kind of reaching out to James while this is happening yeah. and there's no one saying anything there's no words nope so we don't really know what she's doing but in the very next scene, they're back at the apartment. Uh, James and Catherine are back at their apartment. Catherine is completely naked. Yes. We see, we see everything. Yes. She's she, all bruised up. Yeah. She's covered in bruises. She's got a big handprint on her thigh. Um, and James is just like, they're just kind of holding each other. Yeah. And James is kissing her, her bruises and kissing her body very tenderly. Yeah. And, and not sensually not sexually very it seems like he's trying to comfort her right so that kind of informs how we're supposed to interpret that last scene i think right in a way where i'm like but again i think there's two interpretations right right is it's like is he is he doing the aftercare that was something she wanted but she also needs to like recover from it right and so he's james is responsible for the aftercare right or was that trauma and he's trying to help her heal? Yeah. Right? And it's like, it could, it could kind of be either one. And I kind of think for Catherine's character, it's maybe a little of both. Yeah. And despite the fact that James is our main character, I think Catherine is almost the audience surrogate in this. Because right. James kind of openly embraces this this new fetish, this cult, or what or whatever you want to call it, and Catherine gets kind of seduced into it more so than James does. Yeah, by Vaughn. Yeah, and by James, and because this latter part of the film is so focused on Vaughn's relationship or obsession with Catherine. It 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 establishes uh, more of a conflict, right? And puts the events again makes the events a little bit more ambiguous. But we start seeing more of that predatory side of of Vaughn really come out in the way he he preys on Catherine. Uh, but again, it's something that you can interpret because also we don't know how James feels about this. There's plenty of scenes of James just watching Vaughn do this to Catherine, and either is letting it happen because he likes it. Right. Feels like he's powerless to stop it and, and dislikes it or a bit of both. Right. So yeah, then the next main thing that happens is uh, James goes to a car dealership with 
um, Rosanna Arquette's character, whose name I don't remember. Gabrielle. Gabrielle. Um, and they're picking out a new car, which, by the way, okay, a, a thing that I was thinking about throughout this movie, but especially in this scene, very expensive fetish to have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you have to keep buying cars, but also on top of that, auto insurance is going to be fucking insane for these people. Absolutely. You're going to be getting canceled by carrier after carrier after carrier. Your rates are going to be through the fucking roof. Nobody is going to want, you know, your license is probably going to get suspended at some point. There's a bunch of fees for that shit. Like very, very expensive fetish to have. These people are throwing away hundreds of thousands of dollars on this shit. Car car fucking is a sport for the elite. (laughs) It is. It's it's only for the richest of the rich, I guess. Um, But anyway, so they're at this car dealership. And uh, the the sales the sales guy does not know how to handle Rosanna Arquette. He's he's like, cause she's like got the the leg braces and like fishnets on and like a super short skirt and is like bending over the car all like sexy. And he's like, can I help you with something? <laughs> she gets her leg brace caught on the the um, seat cushion. There's a whole thing of him like trying to help her get it off and. Uh, the whole time James is kind of like getting turned on by the fact that like her leg brace is stuck to the car. Yeah. Um, and it's funny when the salesman r- rips it free, he's like, oh shit, this is really not good. <laughs> but anyway, um, a very funny scene. Yeah. And, and she importantly has uh, a scar down her leg Yeah. that the salesperson can see that kind of looks like a vagina. It's a legacy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of Cronenberg's. Who up, who need, they, they legacy ate. <laughs> <laughs> is is what we're dealing with. Yeah, it's one of Cronenberg's many uh what if a scar was a vagina? Yes, David Cronenberg loves to put a vagina where a vag- vagina should not normally be. It's one of his favorite things as a filmmaker. <laughs> He's like, what if leg but vagina? What if arm but vag- what if chest but vagina? What if tummy Butt vagina. <laughs> <laughs> it started sounding like you're saying butt vagina. Butt vagina. I'm sure butt vagina is also something that is on Cronenberg's to-do list. <laughs> what if vagina, but in ass? Um, yes. <laughs> what, one of the other things about Rosanna Arquette's costuming is one of her braces like goes up her abdomen to her like shoulder area. Yes. And... There, it, it's kind. There's like a, there's uh, a hole for her boob. There's a boob window. Um, we don't because we are obsessed with one boob, and <laughs> that's kind of hot. The boob window's kind of hot. We don't see boob through boob window, but there, I'm watching there's like a lace thing over yeah, yeah, it, yeah. and I think you can sort of see the boob. Yeah. But as she's hobbling around with the, these these braces on, with the boob window, I'm like, I can kind of see it. <laughs> I'm kind of into it. Which, did she need to get that custom made? Was she like, hey, cut, please cut a window for my boob because I'm involved in a weird fetish community where taking one boob out is the sign no, of consent. I, I think, I so think, I need to be able to show one boob. <laughs> I think that's literally, I think that's just how it's fitted to her, like right. how the straps are fitted or something. But it just so happens that it has a very convenient <laughs> boob window. Anyway, so then they go, uh, James and, and Catherine go, or not Catherine, James and uh, Gabrielle um, go somewhere to a parking garage or something. Yeah, I think they go fuck in Gabrielle's actual car. Yes. Because it has the hand controls in it. Right. Um, and he he fucks her leg hole. Yes. That's This is the famous, the most famous thing about this movie, probably. James Spader fucks uh, Rosanna Arquette's leg wound. He puts his penis in her leg. 
We don't see it. It's implied. Yes. But it is so strongly implied that there is no other interpretation of what's happening. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this was this was another controversial scene from the film. Understandably. <laughs> how, how did this work for you? Uh, well, if you're asking if I found it hot, the answer is no. <laughs> not, not, not that. Right. Is it, did you, did you like it or were you shaking your head like, okay, Cronenberg, I get it. Oh, no, no, this, this I think worked for me okay. in terms of its place in the movie, uh, fitting into the themes, all that stuff. I, I feel like that totally worked for me because basically the way I read this is I think Ballard has gotten to the point, James Ballard has gotten to the point where he is so, his ability to be aroused and his sexual gratification is simultaneously more important for him than it's ever been in his entire life. And he started the movie as an extremely horny little freak, right? But he's like, now it's like he basically must, must fuck or he has no purpose, right? Is where he's at, right? And then also his ability to be sexually gratified has become so wrapped up in the cars and the impact and the collision, right? That it's like the only way for him to have sex with a woman now is like, it has to be an injury you got in a car accident. He like, has to find a new hole. Right. Vaginas don't do it for me anymore because you were born with that. I need something that like metal put into you, right? Is kind of how I feel about this moment, right? And he's, he, he basically is not able to have sex with a, with a human woman anymore unless she has, unless the sex act itself is in some way related to cars crashing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think his one main sex scene that is left to go, which we will talk about, right? I think that one uh, is because the other person in that scene with the other participant in his mind is the car, right? I think I think the next one that he does is he basically that is him fucking the car by fucking a human being. This one is the the step before that, right? Where it's like the car fucked you and now I'm fucking where the car fucked you and it's kind of like I'm fucking the car. Is yeah. sort of so it worked for me. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, I agree with all of that. I also kind of watch it and I'm like, "All right, Cronenberg." <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> there were, there were, by the way, all right, Cronenberg, I get it moments in this movie for me, but this wasn't necessarily one of them. The next scene here is Vaughn getting a steering wheel tattooed like over his scar. Yes. And he wants James to get a tattoo, a car tattoo as well. He wants a car logo. I think it's the logo from, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the logo from James's car. No, I think it's a different one. Oh, okay. Never it's mind. not a recognizable yeah. like actual car real world car logo. Yeah. Um that that I can tell. Um but James gets the tattoo as well. Yes. And uh later Vaughn and James are fucking in Vaughn's car. They fuck off the side uh, on the roadside. Uh he peels off the freshly covered tattoo and licks it, which is not proper tattoo aftercare. No, no, you should never ever do that. <laughs> you get some Saniderm on there and you got to keep that on. Make sure you wash with soap and water when you take it off. You shouldn't be, no one's tongue should be coming close to a, uh, a fresh tattoo. Um, that being said, uh, this sex scene also sort of hot. It's very, it's sort of, 
tender for a little bit. Yeah. The close-ups of them making out, I was kind of like, oh, okay, movie from 1996. This is kind of a very sensual and erotic and uh and yeah it, it's it's a kind of a nice way to depict male intimacy for a little bit here even though Vaughn as a character is sort of a villain I was I was just kind of like oh this is like not a gay sex scene that's played as like this is transgressive and gross right I was like no he's like letting it be hot and intentionally telling you that it's hot yeah yeah i i don't think many other characters actually make out in this movie during sex yeah and a lot of the sex is they're turned away from each other uh you know there it's it's doggy style someone entering from the back yeah um which also does happen in this scene but not at first yes but this is this is they're they're sharing a moment it's a little bit more tender and uh Again, going to use the straight white guy disclaimer here. Straight cisgendered white guy thing. Yes. Uh, I don't think this movie has a lot of textual LGBT themes. Yeah. Um, it, it, it touches on things here and there. Vaughn and, um, Vaughn and James having their sex scene here. Seagraves. Uh, wanting to dress up like Jane Mansfield and die like Jane Mansfield. Yes, and then also in a scene in a little bit from now, which we probably can just talk about now because it's like two seconds long, um, Holly Hunter and Rosanna Arquette also have a very brief and non-explicit lesbian love scene Yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, so it's it's here, but it's not a big thematic portion of the film outside of any sort of uh, readings that a, a trans person or uh, a gay person would, you know, bring their own experience experiences into. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely not the focus of the film. Yeah. It's just present. I think, I think trans themes and, 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 uh, trans readings of body horror are a, a pretty consistent thing throughout the genre. Right. Right. And, and this definitely is, is partially a body horror film. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think there's definitely a reading to be made there. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think it's one that the film is, is very explicitly wanting the viewer to get out of it because they're, it's not dwelling on it. It's just kind of treating these, these relationships and these characters, uh, in, in, in this aspect of their, their character traits, the, 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 the gay elements and the trans elements. Uh, very, very briefly, not really dwelling on them, not really discussing them in great detail. Right. Um, yeah. So they, yeah, they have sex here. And this is this is the moment I was talking about it a second ago, but I kind of think this is about James fucking the car, right? I think him, him topping uh, uh, Vaughn in Vaughn's, Lincoln, which is an extension of him. It's like his, it's him as a vehicle, right? And that's where they're doing it. I sort of think that this is the next step from him, him fucking the leg wound that was caused by a car crash. He sort of is in his own mind, I think, having sex with Vaughn and Vaughn's car and they're all one thing, right? And, and then after the, the sex, um, James then goes and gets in a car that's in like an impound lot that they've parked next to and is sitting in the car and I, and Vaughn crashes into it in, in, with the Lincoln a couple times. And 
there the first crash it seems like James comes <laughs> um and so I kind of think that that is that that's him him finishing right because it's like okay like there was a human body that got me most of the way there in order for this for me to find completion here I have to then be in a car crash <laughs> right and I think that the car crash is the orgasm right and then after that Vaughn drives away and it's sort of you kind of get the impression that like there's this push pull where they they sort of hate each other but they also are drawn to each other there's kind of a power struggle yes where where james is starting to take on the role that vaughn previously played right um which i think is it that's not a novel idea about sexual relationships right like uh, uh, many people have have uh observed before that uh sex is about power dynamics between the people uh, engaging in it so yeah i think that that's what's going on here and vaughn is sort of feeling like he's maybe losing some of his authority Mm -hmm. (laughs) right um and james is maybe feeling a little bit more bold right um and yeah so then vaughn strikes back in the in the next scene we see that he has uh come by the parking garage at their apartment complex and sideswiped uh catherine's car um, yeah, he's dented her her car as kind of like a to assert himself, right? Um, and then later they're driving down the highway, and Vaughn takes down takes takes off down the highway after them. And a really visually great scene. We haven't talked yeah. a ton about the visual of this movie, but I think I think the color grading, the lighting, yeah. is fantastic. Gorgeous looking movie, which is not a rarity with Cronenberg. Yeah, he really always makes his shit look good. And this car is basically just a silhouette. Vaughn's evil Lincoln Continental yes. that smells like cum. Yes. Is uh, <laughs> the cum mobile. Is uh, <laughs> <laughs> the sp- <laughs> the spooge mobile. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's 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 a black silhouette against the uh, on the on the highway, and you just see the headlights. Yeah. As he's just tearing down the highway and veering wildly. And it's raining in this scene too. Um, and I just love the way that the headlights on the wet road, like the light refracting and all that stuff, really rad. Good yeah. shit. Uh, and then he um, goes out in a blaze of glory. Yep. And crashes off the side of like an overpass onto the top of a bus. Yep. And dies. Yep. And uh, James Spader is, you know, the the he doesn't say anything. This is all wordless. And Howard Shore's amazing score is doing a lot of work here. Um, the vibe that I get from James Spader here is he is simultaneously sort of like sad, but also kind of triumphant and also enormously aroused because it's a big old car crash, right? <laughs> so it's an interesting mix for him because I think there was part of him who that sort of was in love with Vaughn, yeah. right? And then there's also part of him that kind of wanted to defeat Vaughn, right? Um, and then there's there's the part of him that is just primally you know super uh aroused at the way Vaughn went out mm-hmm. right um and i think that i think i kind of think Vaughn sort of does this on purpose i kind of think he kills himself intentionally here to some degree um in order to elicit that reaction from james spader i kind of think that he's he allows himself to crash to his death um, knowing that it will push James Spader, give him the extra push over the edge to basically become him. 
is sort of how I yeah, read this. I think so because it is it is very much a now the now the student has become the master Strike moment. Strike me down with all of your <laughs> hatred. Yes, is like you, you will you take take the weird lessons that I've taught you about fucking cars and how this is uh, you know the. Uh, the most pure expression of the human soul and yes. go on and spread my teachings. Yes. Spread my car fucker me- message <laughs> far and wide. Yeah. Um, and so uh, also just the, the visuals of the, of Vaughn's car wreck, the, the flaming bus and all that shit is really good. Is there someone who gets out of the bus who is on fire? I think I saw that. I might've, I, I might've, me- I don't remember. I might be remembering this wrong, but anyway. Um, yeah. Good shit. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and then yeah, G- Gabrielle and Helen fuck in the wreck of Vaughn's car at the impound lot, and then James tries to get the Lincoln Continental out from the impound lot from the claims guy. Yes, uh, who's voiced by David Cronenberg. Oh, we don't yeah, actually yeah. see him, but it is voiced by David Cronenberg. And then uh, James, this is basically the 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 last scene of the movie. Yep, James has the the Lincoln. It's been uh, restored. To the, the best of its ability. Well, it's been restored to the extent that Vaughn said that he wanted a car that had been in an accident to be restored, which yeah. is enough so that it runs, but not enough so that you can't see the accident damage, yeah. right? Um, and so it's that's what he has done with Vaughn's car. Yeah. yeah. Um, and James is... He's playing a little sex game on the road with Catherine. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Yeah, they they're, are... doing, they're doing foreplay. Yep. Much like Vaughn was doing earlier in the movie with Catherine. Yeah. And he is he is grinding his front bumper up against her back bumper. It is very much like get me help get me turned on here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're speeding, they're veering into the left lane. Um, and at one point Catherine unbuckles her seatbelt. Her car goes off an embankment. Yes. And the uh, unbuckling the seatbelt thing, I think, is so important. Yes. 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 Um, because she does that, and you can either be like, she's doing that for him because she knows that the crash thing is, or I guess for both of them sexually, right? Because she knows that the crash thing is like more exciting and more exhilarating with no seatbelt, right? But this is where I'm like, I think she wants to die. I think she does. I think for I think for him, it's about car crashes are this. He I think for him, it's because you never feel more alive than in a car crash. And I think for her, it's because I might die in a car crash. Right. I think it's kind of two their their uh, sister ideas, sister feelings. Right. But I think she is feeling much more strongly. This could be the time when I'm dead, right? And he's like, this is when I feel most alive, right? And and I think that her taking the seatbelt off is totally about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that line is is a little blurred for, for, for both of them too. Right, right. Um, because it is, I mean, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. But I think, I definitely think that the my reading of the characters is that they they are picking up more on the one element or the other element. Right? Yeah. And well, and I think because her car's flipped over and he walks down the embankment and yep. we don't know if she's alive or dead or not. No, she's like um, unresponsive at first. Yeah. When he finally asks her, she's all right. She says, I, I, I think I'm all right, but she's crying. Yes. And I think the implication is she wishes that she was dead. I think so. Yeah. And then his response is, Maybe the next one, 
maybe the next one. And I think that means, because earlier when he said that, he was like, well, maybe you'll come the next yeah. time. I think th- this is, to me, very clearly him saying, you, well, maybe you'll die next time. Because he knows that's what she wants. And now death is is the next right. climax. They've escalated enough, yeah, where, yeah. The, where the next time it's like uh, she's hoping she dies because that's you have to take it to the next level. And yeah. that's the only place there is to go from here. Yeah. Um, and uh, Shore's score here is not the guitar music. No. It is these very dark, dramatic strings. Real good. I think it's maybe the only time that it's not. It's, if it is... Not the only time. It's one of the few times where he's not doing the the guitar music, and it's great. Yeah. As as the uh, the camera pans out to them lying on the side of the highway, fucking as they fuck uh, yep. under the wreck of their car. Yep. Banger ending. Pun intended. Um, <laughs> banger ending. I think this I this ending really really worked for me. I was like, fuck yeah. I think Cronenberg in general really knows how to end a movie. Like Carpenter, who we also mentioned him in comparison to earlier. I think both of those guys have never done a bad ending that I've seen. Um, So, yeah, that's the end of the movie, and I think it fucking rocks. Yeah, I think the the end played really well for me this time. I think the first time I watched it, as this, this plays a little bit into my verdict, but the second half of the movie, this idea starts being reinforced over and over again to the point where we kind of got to the end, and it was like, I feel like... I already got that point 15 minutes ago. Right. Um, but this time, I think the, the performances, the dialogue, the, the bringing back maybe the next one line uh, and the, the music, the way it's shot and framed, uh, the image of them fucking on the side of the road under this wrecked car is uh, beautiful and horrifying in all the right ways. Yeah. Agreed. So, Justice. Yes, David. Is Crash from 1996 not not the, the bad Crash? crash. <laughs> not the best one that won. Not the one that won Best Picture. The one directed by David Cronenberg. Is Crash by David Cronenberg the greatest movie ever made? David, um, this movie is vibes, pr- primarily vibes, and and not a ton of plot which you know, because you know me well, is a type of movie that I severely fuck with. Yes, you really um, like that. I like when a movie is mostly vibes. Um, so I will say this movie has that going for it. And also these vibes are the rancid, dark kind that I enjoy spending a lot of time in, right? So that all was working for me here. Howard Shore's score, Howard Shore's score was magnificent. I think all of the direction, the way this thing looks, fantastic. Great work by David Cronenberg, as per usual. I think his themes that he's exploring here, the thin line between life and death and the eroticism of that, that is something that I think is, um, while it is well-trod territory in Western art in general, um, I think he it's explored very well here. Performances are great. Um, and uh, I think that there's a lot to love here. Uh, however, I do think that... There is a pretty key weakness for me in this movie, which is that it is exceedingly one note. And while I think that works for me okay in this movie because I like what it's doing so much, I sort of wish there was more here to latch on to. Because 
once I got what the movie was and I was feeling the vibe and understanding the themes and familiar with the formula of sex scene, car crash, sex scene, car crash, I started basically being like, okay, I, I love all this. All great. All working for me. What else? And the answer is kind of nothing else, <laughs> you know? And while I think that that is okay, and I think that this movie is still great, it's also not the greatest movie ever made because of that gripe that I have with it. And and I think the main point that I have related to that is I've seen David Cronenberg do these vibes and these themes and this kind of similar structure with more of those peaks and valleys that I wanted in other films that he has made that I have seen. And so this this whole time watching this movie, I was sort of mentally comparing it to Videodrome a lot, which is a five-star movie for me. Absolute masterpiece. Definitely the greatest movie ever made. Um, spoilers for our eventual Videodrome episode. Um, I was thinking about The Fly. I was thinking about Crimes of the Future. Other stuff from him that I have seen, right? And being like, yeah, and he kind of made this same movie, but more entertaining those times. And so as a result, I'm like, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's still a fucking David Cronenberg joint. And for that, I am fucking in. I might revise my feelings on this upon rewatch, because as we talked about, rewatches yeah. are really important for Cronenberg films. Um, but on this first watch, on just this first journey with it, loved it, thought it was a fucked up weird little movie, and I love fucked up weird little movies. Uh, I don't have many complaints about it, but it is not quite the greatest movie ever made. David okay. is Crash from 1996, directed by David Cronenberg, the greatest movie ever made. Uh, I'm so I, I was I loved your verdict. Um, I'm glad that we we were going to talk about Cronenberg eventually. Yeah, uh, it's fun that it was one that you have never seen before. Yes, yes. So, so it was really nice to hear your your thoughts on it. Uh, Justice. This is one of my favorite. David Cronenberg movies. Okay. It is It is a bit of a toss-up between this and The Fly and Videodrome. Those are all really, really great movies to me. They're all uh, very interesting. Um, and they're also the ones that I've seen the most. Yeah. Now, I've seen Crash twice. I've seen Videodrome and The Fly probably two or three times as well. And all of his others I haven't seen. I've probably only seen once. I did not write a verdict down while ah. I was watching because I think this movie is excellent, and I highly recommend recommend anyone who's listening to this. If if what we've said piques your interest, please seek this movie out. <laughs> if it piques your interest a little bit too much, maybe go to therapy. Maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe get a ride to therapy. Don't drive yourself to therapy. Get an Uber. Get a friend to take you. Yeah, yeah. Don't operate heavy machinery. <laughs> Use some public transit. <laughs> Anything where you're not in control of where the vehicle goes. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to let our, our conversation kind of guide it and dictate it, and I wanted to ruminate and think about the movie for a while because, like we said, a lot of Cronenberg movies, I think, hold up better under a rewatch. and. For me, this is a movie that I am still exploring. Mm -hmm. As much as I do have, uh, you know, I feel like the end of the movie, the last half of the movie, reinforces its themes and its messaging about 
the the line between uh, life and death, the the line between sex and death, reinforces them occasionally to the point of uh, annoyance or um, redundancy. I feel like there's still more for me to explore with this movie. Yeah, and sometimes I think that enhances the experience to me. A movie like Possession, which we will talk about at some point on this show. Yes, we will. There is so much that I don't understand about Possession and so much that I have to unpack about Possession. And that makes the prospect of going back to Possession so exciting. Right. It's a movie that you can't wait to watch again. Yeah. Yeah. And, And exploring those feelings on my own in between watches of that movie uh, is is such a, an enjoyable and entertaining and, and uh, fulfilling exercise. Mm-hmm. This movie, I feel like I haven't figured everything out yet, and I find that a little frustrating mm. as opposed to exciting. It's still exciting. It's still interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've almost figured this movie out, and it's just not giving me those extra answers. And I don't know if that's because of me or if it's because the movie has already given me everything that it has to offer. Right. Um, that being said, it is, uh, has great performances, uh, really great understated performances. Yes. Um, I love the ambiguity of it. I love the slow, quiet pace of it and um, how that well that plays into the darker elements and the... Uh, the, the, just the, the rancid vibes all over this thing. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I wish there was more of an escalation. I wish there were more peaks and valleys. I wish this movie continued to draw me into this world. And there's a point where it becomes a little one note for me. Mm-hmm. So this movie's excellent. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, a very unique film as well, and one that I think thematically does a lot of the things that Cronenberg has said in his other movies, maybe even better than those other movies, which is part of why I enjoy it so much. But I don't think it's the greatest movie ever made. Yeah. yeah. That's Crash, baby. That's Crash. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, David. Uh, we already told the listeners on the, at the end of our Snowpiercer episode what the slate for the whole month because you are programming our month as as our Valentine's theme month. Yes, um, as the winner of the coin toss. But just as a reminder for our listeners, what will we be covering next week on the show? Next week we are talking about a, a slasher cult classic uh, that is somewhat romantic themed, but it's it's ever so slightly a departure from our other films this month, which are <laughs> much more explicitly romantic. But it is also about Valentine's Day. It is, so. <laughs> it, is, it is the Valentine's Day slasher. Yes. It's the original My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. 1981, directed by George Mihalka. The most Canadian fla- slasher film that has ever existed. Yes. This it, movie bleeds maple syrup. It is the most Canadian film I've ever seen. And I'm so excited to talk about it. Yes, I'm excited to revisit it. And uh, it's it's... Such an interesting movie because it is now we're like a couple generations removed from Halloween yes. as a holiday slasher. Yeah. Because now we have Friday the 13th. So this is like, this is the C grade holiday <laughs> slasher. By the, we, you know that we're a few generations removed because it's not a Hollywood movie. Now Canada is making these. Yes. That's how you know something is now, it's 
stopped being a trend in the United States and Canada has picked it up. Yes, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> little relic of the early 80s where everyone was scrambling to replicate the success of Halloween. Yes. And I cannot wait to talk about it with you. It's going to be a fun one. It's also like r- very much in our just normal, like our typical wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> We're going back to our roots on this one by talking about just a goofy ass slasher movie. Yeah. So we hope you will join us for that. In the meantime, spread the word about the show. Tell your friends, tell your mother, tell your landlord. Follow us on social media and engage with us there. The engagement helps because of the algorithm and shit. So, you know, if you don't follow us on social, but you listen to the show, give us a follow and like our posts and leave a comment and shit. It, it, It helps out the show if you do that. We really appreciate it. Also, if you listen to the show and you're not subscribed, please subscribe. That also helps with the algorithms and shit. Until then, we hope you all do well, and we will leave you, as always, with our trademark sign-off. Later, dipshits! We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Greatest Movie Ever Made. Please remember to leave us a rating and a review, and to subscribe to the show wherever you listen. We appreciate you supporting the show and spreading the word. Tell your friends to listen. Tell your enemies to listen. Tell your mom to listen. If your neighbor has an unsecured Bluetooth speaker, connect to it and play an episode. You can follow us on social media at TGMEM underscore podcast. And if you've got a movie that you want us to talk about, send us an email at thegreatestmoviepodcast at gmail.com.